0: that for nursing staff at all levels and all healthcare workers for that matter, they really need to start taking care of their emotional side, physical side and mental health. But I also think it should become a much bigger responsibility of the organisation. It becomes part of our education and learning. I would love to see personal development in education, all educations, so that people know how to protect themselves how to give themselves self-care how to manage their emotions how to have a bit of life work balance
1: hello you are listening to the high performance nursing podcast with me liam caswell where i help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals let's dive in Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Nursing Podcast. I'm very excited that you're spending your precious time with us today. Now, are you in for a treat? We have got Gail Camota here from Coaching for Healthcare. Gail, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much, Liam. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Of course. I'm so excited to have you here. So before we dive in, I'm going to tell you um, a little bit about Gail. So Gail has been working in healthcare now for 40 years. During this time, she has been in many roles. Uh, she started her career as an RN and then quickly moved up to a uh, Deputy Director of Nursing, Director of Nursing and CEO within the private sector. Gail also has a great interest in business and moved into Business Development Manager from this role and established her own medical consulting business working across Asia and Dubai. Amazing. This has given Gail so much vast experience across all sectors of healthcare, which we will unpack today. Now, Gail uses all of her skills, knowledge and wisdom to coach uh, healthcare professionals operating her own business coaching for healthcare. Gail has an MBA, she's an RN, and she also has a Master's of Management, and you're an NLP practitioner and coach. Mm. Welcome, wow, what an amazing bio. I'm so excited to dive in. So (laughs) let's kick off, where do we begin? Let's kick off with talking about, in your own words, how you built your career up to that level, like building from RN right up to Don, CEO. Talk us through that. Tell us your story there.
0: Okay. Thank you, Liam. I, it's amazing because as a junior RN, I remember having my first exit interview from ICU as a student nurse, remembering I trained in the days that we trained in the hospital. And she said to me, what are your career expectations? And it just came out, I said, I want to be in management. And this is like six months into my (laughs) my career. I had no actual concept as to where, what layers I needed to go to get into that position or what I needed to do. But it was an inspiration I always had. So that started from very early days. So I think to the form of training that we had in the early days was that we were expected to take a lot of responsibility very early in our career because there was only one RN sometimes to 76 patients and the rest were students. Wow. And so we as students had to really step up and take a lot of responsibility and it was just assumed that we would take that responsibility and cope with it. And I think that that was one of the defining things of directing me into management and, for me, always being confident that I would be able to do it without any issues. Mm -hmm. In our nursing training, it was assumed that we would be able to deal with any problem. So we just had to learn how to do it. And I think I took that attitude on with developing my career. Mm -hmm. Mm So that was sort of the basis of how... I had the confidence and the insight into knowing that I'd be able to do it without any issue. Yeah. So once I moved, I finished my training and moved into. I moved into the private health sector. I was partly in the public sector and partly in the private, and it was always assumed that we would be take on responsibility of being after hours manager after hours on our shift and then Mm. if there was after hours management role needed, we did it and we just did it. So I had a lot of early training in my nursing that gave me the capability of not only knowing I'd be able to do it but also working with all the different people at different levels Mm. right from the beginning. So I got to see how people worked, how they felt, what their issues were from a very early stage And I was always aware of that, even when I went up to CEO and in my consulting business, I was always aware of every level within any institution, any healthcare Mm -hmm. facility I was in. So I was aware of the kitchen, I was aware of the cleaner, I was aware of the doctor, I was aware of whoever. So I kept that in perspective, that I knew that all those people had to play a role in making sure that that facility ran well and the patient got a great delivery of healthcare. Mm -hmm. it wasn't just the doctors it was everyone that made that facility function that gave that holistic approach to the great care for the patient
2: Mm
0: -hmm. so just uh, i'm really sort of stepping ahead there but i think those early learnings taught me that
2: Mm. yeah
0: and then as i you know sort of evolved into after hours management and then into deputy director roles i thought well I really need to underpin these roles with some education so that's why i went off to mm. do my masters of management first of all and i chose my degrees not particularly associated with nursing mm. but they were broad so mba and masters of management were broad i could use those in any industry yeah and that's why i selected them yeah so i didn't go with a masters in health or which I could have done by that stage because university education was in. But I particularly thought about what degrees and why I would do them. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I did them across all sectors and that was with having the thought in mind in case I wanted to step aside and do something else, which I didn't do. I stayed in health. (laughs) So I think that that's a good thing for people to do if they're looking into management. But, of course, there's a lot of nursing staff that go into particular specialties and fields and Mm. there are degrees associated with those.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: So once I did the CEO role and after I did my MBA, I had a great interest in the business side of it. Mm. And as you know, healthcare runs on business with finances and all those type of things and how that works. So I then moved into a... Quite a big role across a really large public private sector facility in Sydney and did business development, which was just fantastic. It was just so exciting. It was just so different. Mm -hmm. So that's why, like, as you listen to me talk about these different roles, you can see what the opportunities are within nursing.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. What career, if you want to develop a career, how you grow your career you can you can see what opportunities are there and why they're there. so once i did the completed i did ten years in that role as business development manager, enjoyed it thoroughly meant so many people, you know even you know officials like I shook hands with a Cardinal George Pell wow. today that's not a big thing because he's he's <laughs> <laughs> you know upon his being great, he's had that all those issues. Uh, there were just opportunities to meet and see people that I would have never done in any other role, any other job Mm. but nursing. So um, I then actually teamed up with a a colleague and we formed the management consulting business and it was medical, Mm. all in medical, helping specialists set up their rooms, set up their business, helping doctors grow their business, Mm. you know, ways of growing it what the behind scenes were for them to set up a business, how they develop partnerships and all those type of things. And just by way of chance, I was asked to go to Singapore and work with some doctors there. And that opened up the doors with, I did some work in Indonesia as well and across in Malaysia, and that led on to work in Dubai. Mm. So it was all all very interesting and it just goes to show what nursing can do for you. Yeah. And the doors can open yeah. according to your interests and your career path. Mm. Mm. But the interesting thing too, with um, and sorry, and then I came. I'm digressing there. Yeah. Then I, from this, I've I've come into coaching because it's a lifestyle choice. Mm. I wanted to give up all those long hours of working and travelling mm. in healthcare, and I wanted to actually give back because I'd seen for many years the burnout, the stress, it's been all of my working career. It's not a new thing, mm. which many nurses don't realise. It's not a new thing. Mm. It was never spoken about before. Nobody talked about it before. So it was there, though. So I wanted to give back, and that's why I selected coaching, mm. because it was some way I could help and work with my colleagues and give back to my profession. Mm. But what I was going to say before that is, Working internationally, it's great to know that nurses are actually, and doctors are actually the same everywhere. Go <laughs> yep. to another country, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, this is—they're all going to be different." There's, you know, they speak a different language; they'll do things, but basically, they all have the same, you know, interest of caring for patients. They, they're basically the same in every country I've been to. Mm. They all have, as we know, each specialty here has its peculiarities. It does in other countries as well, exactly the same. It reflects. So that was actually one key learning I took away from my travels and working with internationally was that we're the same everywhere.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Tolerance.
1: I love that. That's so, so interesting. Uh, that's been my lived experience uh, coming from the UK to Australia and quite similar countries, but also working in Fiji, is that, yeah, the same issues are faced by all, all clinicians globally. And maybe that helps some people, you know, have a bit of solace about what's going on in the world at the moment that we're all kind of going through it together. I just want to like commend you on your amazing career. And I love the story that you keep reiterating, which is you can do whatever you want with your nursing mm-hmm. career. And I think that that one statement is so freeing for nurses listening. That's why I started this podcast. Is because I, over the last year, I've been nursing for twelve years. I mean, twelve years, but no one ever said you can do whatever you want. No one said you know, like I, I didn't feel like I had that from any aspect—university, college, my first job—and I just love that. That's what you are, you know, telling us today and reiterating that story and are living proof of that.
2: Hmm.
1: I'm curious, a couple of things. Do you think the, obviously this comes up all the time and we hear it on the floor, Yeah. the old days versus the new days, you know, the quote-unquote old days of the hospital training versus uh, university training. What do you think about that whole kind of debate that goes on all the time around, you know, should we bring it back to the hospital training? It sounds like it set you up for a really solid career. What are your thoughts about that?
0: Look, I, I loved everyone that did hospital training, loved it. Yeah. It was... An amazing three years. We had to work hard. It was like going to war together. (laughs) And we had to live together. We had to live together. We had to work together. And we were so young. And I worked under the Catholic system. Mm. So you could imagine what that was like. Wow. So you know, we did ten straight nights. Ten straight nights. Ten nights. Like did you question it? (laughs) No. (laughs) I didn't question it, you know. Like we did, you know. You might work 12 hours, have a few hours off short shift so you come back again.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, it was just it just assumed that that's how you would work and we didn't question it, yeah. number one, because I guess we didn't know how to question it. But it didn't do us any harm.
2: Yeah, yeah. It
0: actually built our character. Yeah. Now, because I've been in the industry for so long and I've actually been through the hospital-based system and I've actually seen the university-educated system, To me, there's no great difference as in the end result.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: It's just that the hospital system, when we finished as a third-year nurse, we were probably already equal to a fifth-year RN today because we just had to do it. Mm -hmm. We had to do it. It was just that we had to do it. But as far as the education and knowledge goes, it's no different. Mm -hmm. To me, it's equal. And all of us, from the day we finish, we have to continue learning. We all have to continue learning. Yeah, It's not like, oh, you only learned that there and we learned this here. We all have to continue learning mm. as we go forward. So whatever's new comes, new evidence-based information comes, we all have to keep up to date with it. We yeah. all have to learn it. Yeah. So I think that there's, there's no, at the end of it, there's no difference.
2: Mm.
0: One's not better than the other. Just I think the hospital system was just a bit more advanced in... Mm. Taking responsibility and going forward, I guess. But I don't know.
1: Yeah, I like your standpoint on that.
0: Maybe if they had the hospital system, but with upgraded education within it, that would be terrific.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that the scope there to ease the integration into the profession for people. I think that that's what the hospital system obviously offered you guys because you you knew it, you lived, you were living and breathing it. Whereas now, you know, sometimes as a clinical facilitator, I'll go and work with students and they're only allowed to do mornings for like four weeks. And I'm like, how is that a true representation of what your life will be like as a nurse? And how do you build the resilience to work from a morning to a PM to a night shift and all of the things that come with the reality of being a nurse? So it sounds like the hospital sector training really set you up for success
2: in that sense. Mm,
0: It did very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I think to... The the other positive I have for hospital-based training is it actually eases the staff shortage situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got Mm hands-on. You've got hands-on. And with the hospital system, I guess it would be a better outcome if you had a few more facilitators. In my time, it was just the one poor RN that was trying to manage everything on the whole floor and obviously couldn't give us any time. Yeah. And so it was the third year or the second year that trained the juniors. Mm -hmm was how it went. So, you know, with a refinement of the hospital's training system, I think it could be very effective. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that idea. Maybe there's lots of chatter about this online on Facebook. I've been seeing it recently. People, It comes up in waves, doesn't it? And uh, I'm always just curious people's opinions on it. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I'd love to dive into exploring what a day in the life looks like as a director of nursing and a CEO. Because I think a lot of clinicians on the floor (laughs) might struggle to understand, like, and there's always this perception at the lower, you know, down on the grounds where everybody's like, what's happening up there? You know, they need to come down and be on the floor, and there's all of this narrative and chatter. Mm. Can you shine a light on kind of what that looks like day to day and what kind of work you're doing when you're in a position like that and how that's impacting the broader organization? Yeah, I know there's
0: often miscommunication. the floor and that role because you just don't have time mm. and that's part of what the role of the deputy director should be is to be that interim person yep. feeding back the information and dealing with some of those issues but of course if there's major issues you need to deal with them as well being the director of nursing mm. but there's a lot of admin side involved there's a lot of problems issues growth so you're dealing with yeah, you know, if you, for instance, over. I haven't been in the role over COVID, but imagine being in a director of nursing role over COVID where you've got policies changing daily, mm-hmm. you've got COVID outbreaks on the floor, you've got nursing staff going down with COVID, just that simple thing without the actual running of the facility and all the other health policies that you have to make sure you're up to date with your mm-hmm. OH&S, your HR policies. You've got to be on top of all that. You have different departments, but you still have to be aware of what's happening in your facility with each department and how it comes together yeah. and then you've got all your committee meetings so the committee meetings deal with every department of the hospital and every specialty it's not only the committee meeting it's it's what goes into the committee meeting what you yep. have to do behind the scenes and then what comes out as the outcome the actions out of that so there's a lot of work involved in just each committee meeting yeah, and you have about 12 or 14 of those.
2: <laughs> <laughs> committee meetings, committee meetings.
0: <laughs> yeah, imagine how, how many committee meetings you have. And so you have to ensure people are following up and people are doing their work and, and the out, it's up to standards meeting policy mm. and that the outcomes are followed up and then that's followed up and fed back into the next meeting. And then you have all your clinicians mm. and you work with your CEO and the clinicians with another set of meetings. <laughs> and so they have to do a certain amount of work to go into each meeting and outcomes with that as well. And then you may have issues with, you know, clinical issues with patients. Uh, there might be an adverse outcome with someone, and so you need to deal with that. Then you have new products coming in. You may have new machinery coming in, et cetera, and you have to evaluate and figure out is that going to be effective for your facility, you also have to look at the finances. Are you, are you in, within budget? Are you within your working hours? Is each manager coping? Is each manager meeting the needs of the, the nursing staff in that area? Mm-hmm. Are they up to date with what's happening with the on the clinical side of that area? You know, there's just numerous things that you're, that you're thinking about each day. So and the average hours I worked were probably 12 to 14 a day.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: that was just to try and cover and to go to the meetings. You know yeah. often there were meetings of an evening so it might be five evenings a week i'm going to meetings and all through the day yeah so it's a very busy position mm. and then of course you're taking the flat from the up here and from down here yeah. and from the clinicians and the staff here yeah. so yeah. you have you've got balls in the air all the time mm. and you have to know what the Balls
1: and beside the balls, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of crisis management, isn't there? There's a lot of day-to-day kind of reactive crisis management just by the nature of the work. Mm. But I think that that's really helpful for people that work on the floor, you know, that maybe have those thoughts to hear. Because what I've seen to be true is is what you said is that dons a dons tend, to, and even nurse unit managers and educators as well. As you move up the chain, there's this kind of like unspoken rule that you know you're going to work extra hours for unpaid for free because the workload is just immense. Now, it's Mm. very valuable and it's great for your career growth. But also, if you're somebody that doesn't want to be putting in extra time and, you know, it becomes quite impossible to actually survive and do well in these roles because of the unspoken expectation. Is that your experience?
0: Very much so. Very much so. And that's actually what led me to coaching.
2: Yeah. Yeah
0: because I probably would have averaged in my whole career probably an extra five hours a day, four to five hours a day. And I just assumed that was what I was expected to do and I didn't really, you know, think it wasn't a good thing. Mm. But then I saw other people and how it was wearing on them and how they couldn't cope. But it actually had a very detrimental effect on my life. On My marriage broke down Mm. and I had a very... Difficult relationship with my daughter.
2: Yeah.
0: And it was all because I was at work.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was all because I was at work.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think that life, I think today people are becoming a lot more aware of the necessity for work life balance. Yeah. 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 I think the days have gone where we, we give our life for our, our job.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's one of the challenges with nursing is that no matter what level you're at, we still very closely attach our identity to our profession, and we kind of become it, right? And we really lean into it, and but like, well, a good nurse would do this, and we tell ourselves these stories instead of stopping and challenging them, and like you did you know, what is this costing me to work those extra five hours every day? Mm. And for those listening, you know, ask yourself, what is it costing you to stay back for the two hours that you're not paid for? Or Mm. if you do want to become the CEO, take into account that, you know, you have to be so strict about your boundaries. And is that possible and how the system is currently designed? Do you want to keep battling the system Mm. or do you want to find work that lights you up and aligns with what you need? Mm. Is that what you see when nurses or doctors or clinicians come to coach with you?
0: Yeah, they've come into the system. I actually have a lot of younger doctors coming and mm. nurses.
2: Yeah.
0: It's, I think it's great because they're starting to question early. Yeah. And they are finding it really difficult, even from early on, how they're managing this, the expectations of their time mm. and of them as a person and emotionally. Mm. And they just don't have any balance. So I think that... That's one thing that really needs to change in health Mm. and in the system. But the system's such a huge machine, such a huge machine. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the system... The system just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and I think we all get caught inside. That's what I see it as.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think it's getting bigger and chunkier every day. Mm. So I think that for nursing staff at all levels, at all levels, and all healthcare workers for that matter, they really need to start taking care of their emotional side, mm. physical side and mental health. But I also think, Liam, it should become a much bigger responsibility of the organisation, yeah, the system or the organisation. yeah. It becomes part of our education and learning. I would love to see personal development mm. in education.
2: Yes, yes.
0: All education yep. so that people know how to protect themselves how to give themselves self-care how to manage their emotions how to have a bit of life work balance
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's where they would learn it yeah a lot of organizations try to do it at this end where the doctors are 50 and 60 well they've already caught in the system that's too late yeah they've already ground these ones down underneath here mm-hmm. so i'd love to see it in education yeah. is where it needs to be yeah i think that's the only place it's going to change make change
1: yeah i agree and I, yeah i think that's a really valuable insight especially with your experience because for me when i was at the nurse unit manager level i started to question being like how can i really influence change here i've got 50 people in my team and how can i offer more to these people and show them that they can still grow and develop and they can have balance and it was just like you know pushing crap uphill for lack of a better word it was just so difficult mm-hmm. hence why like yourself i thought Maybe I can tackle this from the outside in and I can help people external to the system and really help them see that they do have control and they do have power and put the humanness back into nursing. I saw something this week that said human first, nurse second, and that really resonated with me. It's so simple, but we often flip it and have it the other way around. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your experience has been in transitioning, because I think this is where a lot of people get stuck you've built an amazing career and you've built it up to this point now where you're running your own business. And every time that I've transitioned, I've had to have an identity shift, like I really had to realign. And I think that people underestimate that. And that's maybe why we have a lot of the burnout, the misalignment, the fatigue, the imbalance in the industry. So talk to us about your experience personally and in coaching of the transition that happens every time you move.
0: That is an excellent point. Absolutely excellent point. I had a very difficult time,
2: mm-hmm.
0: even though I'd made my mind up that I was going to change career, but to I still had that. Oh, are you coaching?
2: Oh, <laughs> Look,
0: it failed. You know, <laughs> like I'd come from here as a senior consulting role. Mm. Oh, oh, you're coaching. What? Like, What's that? Yeah. So. And I did. It took me a lot to transition into being a coach and accept myself as being a provider of some other service to health professionals. Mm-hmm. It was a big transition, very difficult. I had to actually do a lot of work around it. Yeah. I had to have coaching myself, mm-hmm. which I still I often have coaching anyway, but I had to have a lot of coaching around it to make that transition mm-hmm. because I did feel as though maybe I was failing,
2: mm-hmm. maybe
0: I wasn't doing the right thing even though my heart really wanted to do something different and do it. Mm. So that's a great point because I think a lot of people do find it difficult. And as you said before, we identify ourselves as a nurse or as a don or as a something or other. Mm -hmm. But we're not. We're we're us. We're Gail Carmody. But we identify ourselves as a role. And I'd done that. I'd entrenched that for nearly 40 years and I didn't even realise.
2: Yeah. Mm. So
0: that was a fabulous
1: point that you up. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. Thank you. I'm curious what the tr- the the point was for you when you went. Oh my goodness! Like I have been identifying as this person, this role. Sorry for so long, and I need to make a change because that's what happened to me. I literally went to coaching, had some therapy, and I was like, hold on. And I kind of like felt like I woke up to it all. I was like, this. I'm completely out of whack here, and I just had a moment. What was that moment
2: for
0: you? Well, you know what was the catalyst for me? I realised that I was not telling people I'd made a change. Mm -hmm. And then I was saying to myself, well, why aren't I saying it? Why don't I want to say it? Yeah. And that's when I realised that, you know, maybe I feel I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. So that's when I went to coaching and and had to do that actual transition thing to get through it. Yeah. So when I realised I wasn't telling people and I was sort of avoiding people a bit, and you know, thinking, oh, I really can't say I'm coaching.
2: <laughs>
0: so it was at that point I thought, well, you know, I really need to to get some help because I have I heavily identified myself as a senior person in the past,
2: mm.
0: and I've changed. Yeah. And so it was at that point, really. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing that coaching for me has just raised my awareness. You know, and I always say that that's what coaching is, right? Like, coaching is about Raising our awareness to our, you know, subconscious thoughts, and then getting to decide intentionally how we want to show up in the world, mm. and like just running with that, regardless of what happens. And I am curious because jumping from like, you know, running your own business, like CEO level, to doing something new, like running a coaching business, which in the healthcare care space is still relatively new here in Australia. What challenges did you face in doing that? We've touched on a few of them, but. Like I can imagine CEO is quite lucrative financially, you know, there's a prestige that comes with it and then starting a business and, and, you know, all of the things that come with that. So talk us through that.
0: Well, the business side was easy for me. Mm -hmm. That was quite easy because I'd already been had experience in that anyway. And I think being older and already having a lot of contacts in the healthcare system. But when I started approaching them to tell them, you know, offer coaching for their doctors or their nursing staff or offer packages for them or whatever, I got a lot of resistance about, what, well, what is coaching? Mm. Do we need coaching?
2: <laughs>
0: so I, it wasn't about me. It was about coaching. Mm-hmm. But I think if I hadn't have felt already so familiar with them and very confident in approaching them... and and being a part of the healthcare system and knowing full well they need a coach, Mm. I probably wouldn't have lasted. But, yeah, it was the resistance. And even people that head up the wellness programs in all the big organisations like the RACGP and the Mm. local health districts and whatever, they only see it as something for the leaders, like for senior
2: Mm. people. How interesting.
0: And I keep saying we should be bringing it in for... Juniors, we should be putting it into the education system for them. Yeah. Mm. Don't have a very good knowledge of it.
2: Mm.
1: So, how would you describe the difference? Because often when I talk about coaching with nurses, they say, Oh, that's mentorship, right? How would you describe the difference between mentorship and
2: coaching?
0: I, you know what I do? I say coaching slash mentorship or facilitation
2: mm. Mm.
0: because it changes people's perception. Yeah. And they sort of click to mentoring a bit better than they do to coaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, And then I often have to explain what I will help them with in coaching.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's still taking quite a lot of education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People that come to me know they want to change, but they're not quite sure how. And they just they have a conversation to figure out how I can help them change. Mm-hmm. So that conversation obviously helps them. But I think still coaching is a very underutilized and an un- unknown entity in healthcare.
2: Mm, mm, yeah.
0: It could be used. that All seniors, senior nurses should have a, a coach.
2: Yeah.
0: All doctors should have a coach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just should be a standard of HR, of HR, really. Yeah.
1: It definitely needs to be integrated into policy. I love how aligned we are on that because that is like one of my visions. It's like how can we, you know, make sure that everybody in healthcare has a coach? And that we have access to it and i think preferably externally to the organization as well
0: very much so very much so i
1: think you know and i think maybe i don't know i'd love you taking this like is there a fear maybe that you know having somebody external and people talking to them from within the organization that maybe there's a bit of i don't know gossip culture or or sharing information that we should be sharing about culture what do you think is driving the fear or I've just that?
0: I think a lot of it is they think that they can manage the cost within their budget better if it's internal. Mm,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: I think a lot of that is the case
2: mm.
0: from the people making the decision.
2: Yeah.
0: Because if they have to get external coaching, then it's a proposal, then it's, it has to go to different managers and then it has to be explanations and then it has to be followed up. So it's all a process. Mm, mm. And then it's obviously... You've got a figure written there, they see, but if they do it within their budget, they don't see that number. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I think a lot of it's driven by budget and money and the psychology of how they view it.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The money side of it.
1: So interesting.
0: But I do agree that it should be external, Mm. not internal. Yeah. Because you're external to all the politics and all the goings-on of the institution.
2: Mm, mm
1: yeah yeah so valuable and it always comes down to money hey (laughs) at the end of the day and it would be so interesting to see and there will be data out there on this like the cost of the burnout pandemic at the moment and the impact in the industry and you know the longevity of that as you've mentioned versus the cost of in starting to really invest in people most nurses want to stay in the job that they're in for the long term, mm. they love it. They love their work, they love their patients, mm. but it's managing the culture, the toxicity, the poor leadership mm. and the increasing workload that they need help with. And it kind of falls into that missing semester. We talk, a few of us talk about this online quite a bit, like the missing semester, that personal development aspect mm. that needs to be integrated in at the start of their careers for sure. And then sustained as you move through and mm. you, know, you get all of the support as you move forward.
2: Mm. I'm
1: curious how coaching has transformed your life. What has coaching given you?
0: A whole new perspective. <laughs> yeah. A whole new perspective. Yeah. I didn't even I didn't even know it existed. I didn't couldn't have even imagined. Yeah. what I've learned. I came into coaching thinking I'll do a coaching course, which I did, <laughs> and then I thought I'll get a set of questions. I'll have a set of questions, so I'll ask you the questions <laughs> and then that's all good, and at the end, I'll sign it off and say, oh, thank you, Liam." <laughs> and then, when I started just the coaching course, I thought, "My God, this is about me."
2: Yeah,
0: I have to do all this. I've been, I thought, I've been looking after people for forty years, and I didn't even know about me. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? One of the biggest things is that I took away, and it struck me right at the beginning, is that. I was never present. Mm.
2: Mm.
0: And then I thought, well, I was never present with me either. And I don't know if that's a nurse thing for protection. Mm. Like, you know, you know how doctors actually wore a white coat because it was a psychological barrier? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that I did that not being present for as a barrier Mm -hmm. when I look back in retrospect. But when I started doing coaching i realized i was i had never been present for a patient or anyone Mm. i listened to them but i wasn't actually present
1: yeah how interesting Mm. that like just that awareness and i think that for me and for what i see is that a lot of us try and build a relationship with the career and the identity of being in us but we don't build the relationship with ourselves
0: that was me that was me
1: and i feel like that was my story, as well my journey for sure, yeah. and I was trying to put on this facade of who I should be versus just who I authentically am, and then let it happen from there. so of course, anybody that's listening that you know resonates with that, mm. you know you might hit a brick wall <laughs> moving forward, and we're here to support you with that, mm. but it's so, so fascinating, the yeah. psychology piece of it, and I think that yeah, it's one of the the things that definitely needs to shift within the industry. Mm. So, tell us a bit more about coaching for healthcare and what you do in coaching for healthcare.
0: So, coaching for healthcare, I coach all healthcare professionals that come to me, and they come to me with all sorts of reasons. Mm. It doesn't have to just be work. You know, some people have come to me to help them find a partner. Your on that, but <laughs> and buy a house, and you know, so there's all sorts of odd things people come to you for, but. And a lot of it's personal issues that they've never been able to deal with or talk to anybody about before. Mm. So it's a, it's a mix. I've had such a variety of things for uh, people come to me for. Yeah. And I think to coming back to nursing, I think my experience in nursing and dealing with so many people mm. on so many mm. levels in so many situations, and it'll be the same for you mm. has put me in a really good position to be present and understand and be with the person and figure out how they help them mm-hmm. figure out how they can progress. Yeah. So, well. you know, and some people have come to me with some funny stories and, and you know, some of the doctors have only been like 26 and 25 and, of course, I'm a lot older. And mm-hmm. I think some of the things they've said to me, if I hadn't have been in, in nursing all these years, <laughs> I would have <laughs> I can't even repeat some of the things that were said. But as you know, you just take it all because we it's do. all in confidence.
2: Yeah.
0: We just listen.
2: Yeah.
0: But sometimes I sit back and laugh and think, if I hadn't have been all these years in nursing, I wouldn't have been able to cope with
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love that. It's a testament. Uh, because,
0: as you know, in, in nursing, we hear it all.
1: We do. It's a testament to the psychologically safe space you've created for them to to divulge and, yeah. <laughs> and share all of that.
0: Well, I was thinking, wonder why they feel so comfortable in telling me that, and I'm so much older, and they're just comfortably talking to me about
1: <laughs>
0: this type of information. And anyway, I love that. That's
1: so good. So you work with clinicians across the boards, all specialties. I'm curious. I know you work with doctors and nurses and you know, other people as well, but do you notice the difference between medicine and nursing? Is there anything that's unique to one or the other that people can kind have of experience?
0: You know what is one of the most commonest um, factors? I work in Because we're now online, I do international, as you would too, because we can go global. Yeah. And do you know what one of the most commonest factors is for doctors is – and not so much nursing staff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Nursing staff usually need help with something, a particular issue, and they can progress it pretty quickly. Yeah. So they're a little bit... I do find there is a little bit of a difference, and they're a lot more open, mm. and they speak more freely. I think because they're so used to speaking freely with in teams and with their patients, so they do... And I don't have to elicit the information so much. They're very good at giving it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So with doctors i find that 90% of them lack confidence
2: mm.
0: okay so it's not blatant out there it's as you know you go through the coaching process mm. find these things out so a lot of it is comes down to confidence yeah so i do a lot of confidence work with them
2: mm. Mm.
0: and now after you know a few years in coaching i can pick that up really quickly when i you know first session usually i can pick it up mm. Mm. And that, you know, applies to them not passing exams, not getting promotions, not, you know, doing well in interviews. Mm-hmm. As I drill down, I find that a lot of it's lack of confidence.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Do you think it's because um, it's a more of a competitive industry and there's just a lot more, like, there's more milestones for them to achieve as they build their career? Do you think that's what it relates to?
0: With the confidence?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, the confidence factor actually comes usually from childhood.
2: Mm. Mm. There was a
0: study done by, is it Peter Roan, I think, or yeah, Peter Roan, or I think his name is. And he found that more than 85% of the world's population lacks confidence.
2: Mm.
0: It's usually an incident. It can be small. It doesn't have to be traumatic and it happens between the ages of 0 and 7 mm. and it happens with a usually a family member or a relative teacher mm. religious person whatever someone that's significant in your life and that's carried through and so when i work with them i always go back to that yeah and get them to drill down and they can usually find an incident and that incident is then reflects on their life
2: mm yeah so
0: it's uh it's an interesting
1: one yeah like what we bring from our past to our present day mm. and that often we don't actually know or are aware of what we're actually running the stories we're running the patterns we're running and often you know coaching is a beautiful thing where in nlp where you can go back to that and kind of look at it from afar and then kind of rewrite that story very powerful work mm. i imagine they get great results from that
0: See, and that's why it's coaching so important because that just doesn't relate to their work. That relates to their personal life as well. Yeah. So they get benefit all around.
1: Yeah. It's fascinating. We've got our graduate career launch program at the moment where we help nursing grads get into their first role oh, yeah. and they think they're coming in for a CV <laughs> and they are. They're getting a CV and a cover letter and the interview stuff. But the side effects of learning how to self-coach within that group has transformed most of their lives. Like they're losing weight, they're making more money, they're negotiating things, they're seeing their worth. And I'm like, you know, they, they had a bit of a giggle with me yesterday saying, Liam, I didn't think I was coming in for this, but I'm so, so glad that now I can stand in a busy emergency department And I can have all of those thoughts come up from my past and then I can just take the action anyway Mm. and deal with the relative that's screaming in my face and be really objective Mm. about it. You know, there's such Mm. power in gifting ourselves the ability to coach. Um, So I'm super grateful that we connected and that you do this work. Mm. sure that we will continue to connect moving forward.
0: We're very aligned to what
1: we're looking to (laughs) achieve. So I love that so much.
0: I mean, I, I love nursing. I mean, it's been a great path for me. Mm. And there are a lot of paths you can take from it if you want to. Yeah. But it's always managed. It's the it, same with any industry. It's just managing that other side of it. Yeah. And coaching is a fabulous way to do that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared today, your career, the diversity in your career, the amazing work that you do, and all of your insights into, you know, what you think the future of healthcare could look like with coaching embedded firmly into it.
0: It be, would be, be magic, if we could. Oh, my goodness. I genuinely
1: believe that it would transform the industry. Mm. I think that it is the missing piece. I've bought into that story <laughs> and I'm running with it. I think it's one of the <laughs> yeah, the main things that could really um, help us transition
2: yeah.
1: how everything works. Yeah. Mm so we'll just keep working at that keep plugging away everybody listening keep advocating for coaching <laughs> and uh, come and coach with us we are,
2: we are. <laughs>
1: as we wrap up I'd love uh, for you to share maybe like you know the best piece of advice that comes to mind that you'd love to offer the high performance nursing listeners from your amazing experience in career what's one thing that you know has really stood out to you over the last 40 years that you'd like to share I
0: think enjoy your work mm-hmm. enjoy what If you're stuck and you're not enjoying it, don't continue. Take a different path. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're in a toxic environment, move on. Yeah. Don't stay there. Even if it means you think you're getting a promotion or or whatever, get out if it's a toxic environment.
1: Mm, Such good advice. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Follow that for sure. Love that. Yeah. Gail, where can people find you online?
0: I've got coaching for healthcare. (laughs) I've got all my social media.
1: You're on all the platforms, aren't you? Facebook.
0: I'm on all the platforms. I'm on Facebook, I'm on
1: LinkedIn, I'm on... Insta. Yeah,
0: I'm on everything. And so I'm there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you're coaching for healthcare, I'm here, .com?
0: Just ring me, just phone me. Okay, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> We will put all of the sh- details in the show notes. But, Gail, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing experiences with us and look forward to connecting. My
0: pleasure. There, yeah, yeah my pleasure thank you for inviting me and thank you to everyone out there listening
1: yes yes go and follow coaching for healthcare and get in touch and until next time everybody stay safe and stay forever curious we'll see you in the next episodes bye bye
2: bye
1: if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode please take a wee minute to leave a review it would mean the absolute world to me if you are ready to start taking action in your career and you need some support why wait? Come and join my private Facebook community. The link is in the show notes below. Within the community, we take what we discuss in this podcast and we put it into action. Currently, I am looking for nurses who are ready to stop playing small and invest in themselves to create the life and the career they want to live. If that sounds like you, then please get in touch. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay forever curious, my nursing friends.